Listen, I have been blessed to go to CES last two years in a row. I always want to know what's coming down the line, right? As an engineer, I was not a scientist. I was not the inventor of the next level of tech or of science. I was a user and applier of tech and science. And so one of the big buzzwords, one of the big techs that we know is coming down the line for years has been blockchain technology. As always, I have access to people who know incredible things. We have on the Black Futures today, my great friend, Dr. Maurice Dolberry, and my very good friend, Dr. Damon Bryant. Welcome aboard, fellas. Now, you guys have a couple things in common. Uh, Aside from being, you know, guys who got a great amount of education at Howard University, guys who got a great amount of education in the state of Florida, both PhDs, but you both were also wrestling fanatics. Damon, you were on the wrestling team at Howard, and Maurice, you coach wrestling in Seattle. Yeah, I was on the wrestling team. I was recruited by uh, Dr. Paul Cotton. Uh, he's actually at NIH now. Uh, he decided to invest in this little poor boy from Florida, mess around in the backwoods to be able to come <laughs> up to Washington, D.C. and do some things. So we won a national MEAC championship when there was the MEAC for wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, the wrestling team has been dismantled. But it's the case through a few programs, they're trying to bring back the sport of wrestling to HBCUs, particularly through an investment from Mike Novogratz. He's someone who's real big in the blockchain space. One of the investors in Ethereum, um, he had actually given about $1.2 million to begin to start the wrestling program at Morgan State University. So I'm actually proud about that. So there will be an option for my kids to be able to pursue wrestling. That's fantastic. And Damon definitely ain't going to remember, but we were teammates for about like six minutes. So <laughs> I was not recruited uh, by Dr. Paul Cotton, but I did get an opportunity to talk with him about walking on to the team that same year and, and man, developed a great relationship with Coach Cotton. I was there long enough to get up on the mat, warming up, get my ass whooped and realize that, you know, yeah, you know, high school wrestling is probably the end for me. I am not a Division One wrestler. I'm going to leave it up to these dudes. And I I loved watching y'all win the MEAC championship, man. And, you know, like B mentioned, I've been coaching now and just uh, about to start my 25th year coaching wrestling, man. So, yeah, yeah, I found my contribution to the sport was not on the map. It's definitely been by the side of the map. Yeah, I think you made the right choice because right now um, (laughs) I have more back pains than a little bit. Um, Plus, I didn't necessarily agree with getting up at, like five o'clock in the morning to be able to make a six o'clock practice. We had the conversation that summer and coach said, yeah, so we start practice at six. I remember saying to him, oh, that's cool. That's way after my last class. And he just started chucking. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of wrestlers at Howard, when the pandemic hit, you know, it it happened over in China first. And when it was first happening, uh, another mutual friend of ours, Colin Thompson and his family were over in Shanghai. And Colin was doing an incredible job of sharing information of what his experience was, what he and his wife were doing to, you know, protect themselves so that when it got here, at least I had personally some context for what to expect, what best practices were. Now, Colin, a former wrestler at Howard University, and Damon are business partners in Exchange. What is Exchange, Damon? Sure, Exchange, it's an idea that was birthed from my doctoral dissertation in psychometrics where we are applying testing 
to the area of sports, um, to the area of training and able to facilitate fairness in testing. So at the end of the day, we would like to have a blockchain based application with individuals who can log on to the platform, take the assessment tool and not necessarily be worried about if there's bias in the test or in the test results and be able to distribute those scores um, via distributed ledger technology. Fantastic. It's very much like some of the work Maurice is doing academically. I recently did a partnership with the NBA regarding their HBCU fellowship. Talk about the work you're doing and how it will impact recruiting, et cetera. Sure. That actually goes back to one of the first contracts that we got through exchange with the NBA. It was helping teams to select players who could enter as collegiate athletes and then actually go into the draft. So we have a database of several hundreds of players over the past maybe six or seven years who have come through our assessment platform and then actually were available to be drafted over those years. So we do have lots of data. Uh, We do have um, results that we could share in terms of what testing does to increase the way in which academic scores or cognitive scores on these tests could relate to performance. Because when you think about sports, one doesn't necessarily think um, your cognitive ability relates to how one performs on the court or on the football field. Mm -hmm. But yet it's the case, taking some assessment tools like we have, um, such as the mental rotation test, which is a test that measures your ability to make mental images, translate those images, and to make sure it corresponds to a object that you're actually perceiving, how that relates to basketball performance. So we show that the scores that we have on our mental rotation test actually relates to cognitive performance and physical performance on the court, such as three-point shots, two-point shots, field goal percentages, block shots, offense offensive rebounds and defensive rebounds as well. So we have a wide variety of tools um, that are suited for that purpose. That's fantastic. I'm sure it applies across all sports. Have you found that maybe it's more valuable in hockey versus basketball versus baseball, et cetera? Actually, we started out investigating American football because Mm -hmm. we saw an area where there was obviously a lot of bias in terms of using cognitive ability tests to be able to select athletes for the NFL draft. So there were several publications, they tell you explicitly that the test is biased against athletes who take that particular test. For example, in that particular study, I think it was published in the Journal of Human Factors, they showed that on the Wonderlick, the lower you score, the more touchdown you scored. Um, as a professional athlete. So in essence, if one could reason logically from that, you could see that it made sense to be able to select athletes who got low scores on the test. Um, Mm. But that's definitely not something that you like to do. Maurice, you're over there dancing in your chair, and I know why. Talk about how what Damon is doing is uh, related to the work that you do. It's so fascinating to look at things from that side, man, and and to look at those sorts of psychometrics and and to apply them. On on my end in education, I'm in multicultural education. I'm in social justice, diversity, and equity, and looking at specifically from primarily a science lens, just understanding 
how and why we are able to do school and how and why we are not able to do school. And a lot of this, of course, ends up being me search, we being black males and black males who are athletic or who are athletes. You know, the three of us share that in common, right? And and so you want to know something about yourself, right? All three of us have a background in some sort of athletic with, you know, weekend warrior, high school athlete, college athlete. Um, and we also have delved into these aspects of our intellect and we're educated dudes. And how the hell did we get here? And so I look at those things from the anthropological side. I look at them from the epistemological side, right? The knowledge and the culture side. And so the intelligence is so that Wonderlick test, man, is fascinating to me because I think about like for those listening, Wonderlick is an intelligence test that is given during the NFL combine uh, to its athletes. And it's supposed to be some sort of indicator about their intellect. So and one of the things about the Wonderlick is it's really secretive. So, Doc, I got a question. So, Damon, how, how did you do you did you get access to those to those scores? What was it like getting the access? Was the NFL were people protective around it? And what were some of the other things that you found out that might you know uh, have correlations specifically with athletes? And again, it's the NFL. We're talking about seventy percent, right? 70 percent. African-American male. So for that particular study that was done, it was a colleague, um, Brian Lyons, uh, who got access to that data. So he was mm -hmm. the one who published that research on NFL athletes and the relationship on Wonderlick scores to uh, performance on the field. Uh, what I found, and as you know, getting access to test scores, it's very hard. This is a multi-billion dollar industry that's totally unregulated. Because it's unregulated, yeah. you're not going to be able to get access to scores, despite the fact that we're using scores to determine whether or not a student <laughs> will get promoted, a teacher will actually be able to have her job, and at the same time, looking at individuals being able to secure employment and educational opportunities. And at the same time, it's related to the degree to which we perceive fairness in college admissions. Uh, there's a big issue now with um, a challenge to the admissions program at Harvard University, where Asian students are suing, saying that the affirmative action program at Harvard is unfair. And their argument is that Asians would score higher on that test, and as a result, should get more places at Harvard as a result. I'm going to open this up and it might be a little bit controversial, but I don't care at this point um, because I'm letting out controversy. The educational testing service, when I was the, there as a fellow almost 20 years ago, the Chinese were stealing test questions back then. They were stealing questions from the graduate record exam. They were stealing questions from the SAT. Um, it was the case that their scores were inflated. And actually, they were caught by ETS. And mm. Educational Testing Service decided to enter into an agreement with the Chinese government not to invalidate the scores, allow the students to come into American institutions. And at the same time, the ETS received a contract for the Olympics for tests for spoken English. So that was a little bit of the mm. side deal that was happening. That was way back in 2003, 2004, I believe. Let's fast forward. Almost 20 years later, a company called Tao Educational Services, or TAL, it's affiliated with the Chinese government, 
that company has actually stolen all of ETS's hot content. We have live tests of tests of spoken English, graduate record exam, the SAT that actually is administered each year. The way the ETS was able to catch that company, they were attempting to go public in the U.S. markets. When they attempted to list on the New York Stock Exchange, that's when Educational Testing Service was able to come in and say, hey, we, we see that you've stolen our content. Oh, look, we need for you to stop. But it was wow. that, that, that they came into a settlement where Tao and the Educational Testing Service, they're now partners <laughs> in order to be wow. able to administer tests. A lot of things that have happened that we should be aware of, because we're always, um, as African-American or Black men, we're always on the getting the short end of the stick. And to the, the degree that we know that unfair things are happening in the testing industry, and we're not necessarily making other individuals know about it, say that we know that tests are unfair and we see the unfairness happening on the other side with individuals from other demographics groups taking the test and actually leveraging the test and being able to make claims about their place in American society in colleges and universities yeah. across the U.S., we, we should point out that the tests aren't fair. You're using a tool that doesn't necessarily reflect the accuracy or the validity in your intelligence, but yet the powers that be still use it as a tool to um, facilitate admissions. And we should change that. And that's the purpose of um, Exchange, my next phase of the project, where one of the things that we're looking to do is actually build a blockchain-based mechanism that will actually be able to let individuals know, the stakeholders, of if any individual groups were to take the test, what are the outcomes that you could perceive by taking the test? Is the test fair? Does it predict performance the same way that it does for other groups? Does it have the same predictive validity? At the same time, let's take a step back and not necessarily focus on the predictive validity, whether the test predicts performance at the educational institution that you plan to attend, but does it measure the same characteristics to the same degree in different demographic groups? That's totally unknown. That's the dark part. That's where blockchain technology can increase the transparency within cognitive ability testing and testing in general for employment purposes and to educational institutions. What I'm hearing you say, Damon, is that there's testing that is either biased or unfair and interpretation of maybe the data that's biased and unfair. And your technology and your work would work to eliminate those biases. Why is it necessary that that tech be on blockchain versus not being on blockchain? Well, if it's not on blockchain, it's the case that we're not necessarily being exposed to the findings that there's unfairness that exists. So there's a, it's a matter of transparency um, and agency, giving us agency over our own data mm -hmm. um, and actually giving transparency to the tools that we take will actually facilitate equity and fairness, allowing us to be able to share our test scores, to be able to look to see if tests in their design and in the administration of those test questions, we can ensure that there's fairness that actually takes place. Because currently it's not because the industry is very closed. And because it's closed, there's no legal mandate 
to disclose test scores. Mm -hmm. If there's something that's wrong in the cognitive ability test, there's no mechanism through which to see if the test was developed fairly, because there's a lot of bias in artificial intelligence in the way in which tests are administered, yet that needs to be brought to light. It needs to be exposed because a lot of people don't, don't even know that it's happening. That's one of the things that I look at as well. And it's it's interesting to hear it from both sides in terms of when you're looking at something and its validity and this notion in testing, are you testing what you say you're testing? As an example, if you're taking a standardized test, like in Florida, as you, you know, I lived in Florida for a long time, you had EOG, the end of grade test. You have an EOG and you look at a population and you can say that the strongest correlations in terms of direct proportion are zip code, ethnicity, and race of the student in terms of being able to predict their outcome. So if they're from these particular zip codes, this is going to be their outcome. If they're this ethnicity, this is their particular outcome. And you can accurately do that. Then your test is testing socioeconomic barriers. Your test is is actually testing racism. It's not testing their ability to do well in college. And so I love the, the, the dig in and looking at that from, again, the cultural side and education side, which says, you know, what do we look at? Let's look at the wording on these tests. But I love where you're digging in and being able to expose that transparency through this notion and the use of blockchain. And, you know, we could we could nerd out on the whole thing, you know, to get to lose everybody. But how are you able to leverage blockchain to provide that type of transparency in lay terms? Sure. There are a lot of tools that currently exist within the area of psychometrics. That's the discipline within psychology itself, where you're taking the performance on psychological tests and you're transforming it into a score that you can interpret. The way in which bias occurs on certain cognitive ability tests is in essence by the way in which the test is designed, the statistical tools that are used to screen the test questions and calibrate the questions to administer. The way in which that process is being exposed, because right now it's closed, is to develop an open source platform through which all testing and the tools that are currently used are out in the open. So you see how the statistics perform in screening out certain test questions. You're seeing how the questions are calibrated and the process that takes place that institutions use to screen questions for bias itself. That is what we are doing to actually disclose that process, particularly the process of differential item functioning and the way in which the questions are administered in the adaptive algorithm as well. Who benefits from you not succeeding? What are the friction points? Why would any organization or person not want you to succeed or stay in your way? The thing is, when you talk about American society in general, there is an aspect of racism that you have to admit. Something as innocent and seemingly benign as cognitive ability testing impacts scores. So first off, a lot of people wouldn't necessarily want to accept that there's bias in the test. 
At the same time, at the institutional level, we're talking about companies such as the Educational Testing Service. And I have to admit, I was an employee there at one point in time. The testing industry will be a point at some point in time where there will be a tax on me or there will be a tax on the organization uh, in which I work. I'm currently doing work within Exchange and as well as an academic publishing on this work, making it public. So it's the case that most of the institutions that currently use cognitive ability testing may not necessarily like it, but yet it needs to be disclosed. At the end of the day, we have a lot of, I wouldn't necessarily want to call them closet eugenicists, but yet it's the case there are some people who would, who would necessarily want African-Americans or people of African descent to be able to rise up and excel on the basis of, of cognitive ability, because the notion is that persons of African descent are not smart as whites. And we, we know that's not necessarily true, but it's the case. That's the stereotype that exists based upon the scientific literature that exists based upon cognitive ability testing, because psychology at that point in time or psychometrics was very nascent. And you had a lot of individuals who were just co-signing as academics, but yet taking on all of that literature and saying that it's valid, but yet it's not the case. For every single cognitive ability study that's published today, go back and show me where you have done the measurement equivalent study or the validation study to show that the test does measure the same construct or the same notions to the same degree. So that's the main right. thing that I'd like to be able to emphasize. Every study that shows cognitive ability differences, they don't do the measurement equivalent studies. Right. Maurice, if Damon is wildly successful, if his technology and these ideas are embraced by society at large, and organizations therefore change to adapt these policies, these, this way of computing and this way of thinking, how are our organizations benefited? How is society benefited? Well, as he mentioned, we're going to be uh, doing a whole lot of tipping, kicking, punching of, of sacred cows around here because so many people are invested in white supremacy. They're invested in this basic notion that, for example, circling back in the conversation, when it comes to IQ testing, and we were all at Howard when the bell curve was on the bestsellers list. And I can remember in biostats classes digging in to some of the data in the back, looking at things Dr. Bryant's talking about now in terms of like your data is not matching up. This is not you're not testing what you say you're testing. And the validity, you know, was not there. I mean, nothing has changed in terms of our inherent underlying basic assumptions that go back to the NFL and the Wonderlick test and whether or not black dudes can play quarterback or can they play running back and where are they better suited. And all of those things are so ingrained that one of the main things it's going to do when you disrupt white supremacy, you get people pushing back of all colors, you get people pushing back really hard because it sounds weird to almost all of us who are socialized here in the United States to generally conceive of black folks as eminently intellectually capable and as capable as anyone else. So you're talking about rubbing up against those first. Again, I go back to the, you know, I go to the cultural standpoint. Second, <laughs> you end up digging in people's pockets because these test companies make so much money off of the 
just generally accepted premise that these tests tell you something about your ability to succeed in college or tell you something about your innate cognitive ability. The transparency that is offered by this process rubs up against those things. It's going to challenge people's pockets. It's going to challenge people's conceptions of whiteness and how people function on that scale and how Asian-ness gets afforded some whiteness when it comes to intelligence. Make no mistake, they are still not white and they are still far down on the American-ness scale. And it is still, you know, we still got Asian, you know, folks who are victims of hate crimes recently, right? Because you're still Asian, right? But that notion of, but you still have the intelligence, right? So to challenge that embedded notion in how we conceive of people by race and intellect and digging in their pockets. I've done some work regarding board diversity and making those arguments for how board diversity would benefit an organization and then making the converse argument about how if things stay the same, this is how you're not competitive. Those are the arguments that kind of turn the tide. I'd like to hear how you approach a major organization like the NFL and make that argument instead of one that is, you know, they seem they have to defend against. Sure. There was or there is um, a literature that exists showing the impact of diversity um, within organizations, as you mentioned, at the board level and at the level of management within the organization and at the, the associate level, to the degree that you have more diversity within your organization, say within the company and then within the management and within the board, it shows in the financial performance of your stock and the operational performance within your organization. If you have a diverse organization, you're able to increase the performance of that organization itself. So we have to begin to fight, um, as mentioned earlier, the ingrained notions that exist within groups and within certain individuals as well. Damon, if you were to be able to just call to your aid a dream team of allies, be it individuals or organizations, who would you call to your aid? The organizations that I would call to my aid to be able to assist in this effort are blockchain-based organizations who believe in transparency, who believe in openness, and the willingness to be able to invest in technology that will help us to be better human beings. First off, that's one of the um, channels through which I have pursued funding um, and actually have gotten funding in the past. There are some educational publishing companies that have made investments in my company and have actually shown positive outcomes based upon that work. So for the most part, the cryptocurrency-based organizations and the publishing agencies that have invested interest to be able to invest in such technologies, because it's going to change. It may not necessarily be me, but yet the tide is going to push us to where we will be more transparent, will be more open, and blockchain-based technology will facilitate that transition. It will impact education and employment as it is impacting finance right now in terms of how we're seeing banks being transformed day and night, the way the blockchain is being used within organizations. Damon, talk about the work you're doing at Morgan State. Sure. I am an assistant professor in the psychometrics program at Morgan State University. In that program, I teach students about ways in which you're able to construct psychological tests, the way that you're able to screen those test questions 
for potential bias and the way in which other constructs can be adequately measured, um, such as within the healthcare industry as well. So I'm mentoring a lot of students in the application of item response theory, being able to apply that within organization, because my dissertation was on item response theory and computer adaptive testing. We have not had uh, within any HBCUs a concerted effort to be able to teach the more advanced statistics in psychological measurement. But yet, um, the program at Morgan State is the only psychometric program out of all of the HBCUs that currently exist. Uh, moreover, it's one of the top psychometric programs in the country. That's why I chose it as my home. Fantastic. 